dear fellow students and anyone else who might be listening. Welcome to the fifth episode of Stars podcast series for UEA's Democracy in Election Week. Today's title is an inward to outward shift, democracy in an international context. And we'll be having an open discussion about Norway and USA and the topics of democracy, questions about freedom of speech and freedom in general. My name is Maria Norvog and I'll be moderating today's podcast. I'm a bachelor's student in political science here at UEA and I'm currently writing my BA thesis. I'm actually handing it in tomorrow, so I hope my advisor forgives my priority for being here today. Uh, so you could say that I'm above averagely interested in democracy, and I'm actually writing my BA thesis on external democracy promotion uh, by the EU in the Western Balkans, and I'm also part of STAS International Committee, so I'm really looking forward to today. But enough about me. I have with me two excellent guests here. Allow me to introduce Nina and Kasofir. Nina Burley is an American award-winning journalist and author who has written columns, books, and everything in between. She's covered subjects ranging from Trump to women's rights and has recently released a new book of essays on the COVID-19 pandemic that is coming out this May. In addition, she's previously guest lectured here at UEA. Nina, would you please tell us a bit more about yourself and uh, what you're working on right now? Well, hello, and thank you so much for including me in this um, discussion. Um, I am, yes, I have been a journalist for a very long time. I've covered American politics um, really for about four decades now from almost every state in the union or the disunion as it sometimes is. And I um, was, as you know, um, as you mentioned, I was in Norway uh, in the fall of 2019 as a guest lecturer in, um, at U UIA. And, um, and uh, that uh, offered me an opportunity to get a little understanding of the Norwegian system and how different it is from our system. And so I, uh, I look forward to, um, to airing out some of those differences and discussing them with you. All right, great. Uh, so you're obviously a very impressive woman. Do you have a fun fact about yourself to make you a little less intimidating? Oh, oh God, do I sound intimidating? No, I'm very, I'm, I sound intimidating, but I'm, I'm sorry if I do. I'm super lazy and I've been, basically the pandemic has allowed me, we had to leave the city because our kids were kicked out of school. And so we went to our house in the country, which we have been very fortunate to have an old schoolhouse on the Delaware River in where the state of New York meets the state of Pennsylvania. And um and, and basically, I've just been very lazy doing a lot, well, goofing off a lot of a lot of running around and, on the bicycle. And um, and as Norwegians, you will appreciate this. We had the best snow up there that we have had in my 20 years of owning that house. I can't tell you how glorious it was. The kind of snow that usually in this country we only get in the West, it was dry snow um, and it piled up and it stayed. And I got a new pair of cross country skis, which we hear called Nordic skis and for Christmas. And I went, while I was working on this little book of essays every morning I'd write, and then I would put those skis on and go for miles. And it was glorious. So I'm, no, I'm not, um, I, I just like to goof off really. I, <laughs> I, I have, I, I love being outside. And uh, today actually, when we get off this call, I'm going to go and buy some grass seed because our grass is looking pretty sparse after the long winter. 
Well, thank you so much. That totally made you more relatable. So I'm a little less <laughs> intimidated now. <laughs> um, so our other participant here today is Christopher Robert Spanik. He's a student here at UEL's School of Business and Law, and he's also representing his faculty at the Student Parliament. And he has his own personal connection to the USA. Uh, Christopher, would you like to introduce yourself and say a bit more about your American background? Yeah, um, uh, it's great to have you here, Nina, by the way. I'm so glad you could... Uh do this with us. Uh, I'm not as accomplished as you yet, maybe one day, hopefully I will be. But uh, no, I'm, I'm American born and I moved to Norway in 2006 with my family. And so I was really lucky that that happened in my life. I mean, I really won the lot lottery in that sense. And uh, my dad's American and my mom's Norwegian. So I didn't really get to experience uh, the United States as an adult in that sense as living there. But I, have, I do have a dad who keeps up with uh, politics and what's happening. And we have discussions about that. So I'm usually a bit in the loop. So uh, I'm, I'm really excited to see what we can talk about and some differences we can, we can uh, unveil and show to the public, even though both these countries are quite Western countries. All right, super. Uh, please also supply a fun fact about yourself. Oh yeah, my favorite food is eggplant parm. And even <laughs> though I go to every single Italian restaurant in Norway, they don't serve it. So therefore, I do not regard them as Italian. And I really think the uh, immigration ministry in Norway should really look at getting more Italians to <laughs> see that as a big win. All right. I like your priorities. Um, so we have a lot of interesting topics to cover today. Um, I would love to start with talking about uh, the question of freedom. I mean, what even is freedom? Uh, we toss around concepts of individual freedom versus collective freedom, and we also discuss a lot if an intervening state takes away or creates freedom. Um, I would love to hear your thoughts about this. Nina, uh, would you like to start? Uh, sure. Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, freedom and liberty are two words that have been drained of all meaning in this country. Um, they're slogans. They throw them around um, when they want to... Um, uh, when, when you know politicians want to uh, um, inflame or excite people, I guess, or signify a certain um, political side, I guess. So you know the um, let's say, for example, there's a there's a university in uh, the South called Liberty University, and it is a, a white evangelical Christian. Uh, start um institution uh nothing wrong with that started started by you know very uh, i think it was jerry falwell um they started this university and um its name but uh it is does not actually promote individual liberty on the contrary it is um uh you know their main concern is um patrolling people's personal moral, I'm putting that in quotes, behavior. So, um, you know, uh, gay, LBGDQ uh, issues are, um, you know, they're, they're not, they certainly don't have gay rights on that campus. And for years, they actually forbade um, uh, interracial dating. Women were required to wear skirts. They may still be required to wear skirts. So, you know, it's the, again, it's a liberty and freedom are words that are used um, as political slogans here. Um, but, you know, what does freedom mean? In, you know, I, I think that in America, um, we, 
we do have certain freedoms maybe that other countries don't have in terms of um you know quite a few things i think there's there are type there are regulations in some of the european countries that uh regard with regard to business or or taxation or i certainly know more about the french system because i lived there that longer than in in norway where people are kind of chafing against certain regulations that the government does impose and so i guess in this country you know people do have this notion that we have more freedom uh but in my opinion what whatever freedoms we do have are often balanced out against the restrictions of this um this system that has led to such enormous um, wealth inequality that there are many 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 millions of people who are just restricted in terms of their life choices because they can't afford health care and education. Hmm. Well, thank you for a really comprehensive answer. I, I feel a lot of <laughs> pull to uh, want to talk more about the things you mentioned, uh, but I really like uh, what you said about you have this expression of very individual freedom at the same time as there's a lot of, can I say, moral policing around, and also how you mentioned the balancing of uh, missing some freedoms but also giving some uh Christopher, would you like to say something about norway in these regards well when it comes to lgbtq plus and all that in norway especially to universities it's really i'd say they almost have a libertarian stance on it it's just be who you want to be we don't really care i mean i, I don't i can't even I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, Louis, but I don't think we have any moral codes or rules. I mean, as long as you're not running around naked through the halls, nobody really cares, really. And you don't cheat on your exams. That's basically like the two big ones. That's all we really need to follow. So, and, and you know, college experience in Norway versus the U.S. is very different where, you know, universities here don't have a, a living campus where you're actually living on campus. You usually live in and around the town. So I can see where in the US, you might need some more codes, but then again, you also have students that are paying for their education. So I'd, I'd argue that these students should be able to do whatever they want, really. But it's a very different different system. And even in um, you know everyday life outside of universities, sure, you'll have people that are, for example, where we live, they, they, so they call it the Bible Belt, where we have more, um, more people of Christian faith that are more, that follow it uh, more than maybe regular people do or other people. But um, there, there can be discussions about gay rights or, or LGBTQ. Um, but in general, people don't really, people don't care. So it's, like I said, more of a libertarian view where you, you do what you want to do as long as you're not harming others. And, and they kind of don't listen to these people that bring in religion to the discussion because that's just not interesting. But the one thing that has been, I believe, has been a, a conversation here um, is actually uh, artificial insemination and uh, helping gay couples uh, have kids, where a lot of them have had to go to, for example, Denmark to get that help, and it's not covered by the government here. So although they do have, everybody here has uh, universal free health care for, for things like artificial insemination, if you're, a, if you're a gay couple, I do believe you don't get those same rights as, for example, uh, couples that are straight. Yeah, we've had a lot of talk about the biology loss of artificial insemination, both for uh, people who can't naturally conceive or single parents or, or gay parents. So this is absolutely a um, very timely of a discussion in Norway. 
Um, I would like to challenge you a little bit about what you're saying here that we're very accepting because <laughs> I mean we at UIA we, we are in Christian Science and stuff, which as you mentioned is the Bible Belt of Norway. And while the universities as entities are quite libertarian, as you say, and promoting of uh, diversity um, in in many ways, the towns themselves are quite conservative. Uh, and when you look at like electoral maps of Norway, the our part of the of the country usually elects uh, also conservative uh, viewed politicians. Can you say something about the clash of this maybe with university and the local community? Or am I being too hard? <laughs> no, well, I think when, we, when you have the uh, university here, it attracts people from around the country. That's the, you know, I think that's the main reason why there would be any clash. But as long as the university could do a good job in keeping these people that come around the country, you could, in theory, then change views of others. But I, people would do vote more conservatively here, and especially for uh, KRF, which is a Christian party which is, I believe, the only real religious party that we have that's actually in government right now. Um, but I, you know, I haven't paid too much attention to it. And I kind of, I kind of don't, as in, I, I don't really care for all the religious, um, obviously, conversations when it comes to the politics for them. I, I mean, it's, you know, you vote what you want to vote. But in, when it comes to, uh, them not, for example, supporting some gay rights as in uh, raising children and stuff. I, I don't think that's a reasonable thing at all for me personally, but that's when the personal stuff comes in where you, when you are living in a Bible belt and you have parents that have possibly strict moral codes that you're raised in, you're going to be pretty uh, impacted by that in your life, most likely. So I'd yeah. say if anything, if the university wants to impact anything, it would be to start getting people from around the country to stay and get jobs in Christian South and around the university. That mm. could possibly help a little bit, I think. Well, allow me to bring up uh, a case that has been quite uh, important in the student democracy here at UIA, mostly for last year. Uh, I think this can be a bit interesting for you too, Nima, because uh, during the corona, the pandemic in uh, the fall, uh, campus wasn't big enough to house all the different lectures we needed. Uh, so Uya went and rented a city, and they also rented a large conference hall that is owned by one of the religious uh, affiliations here in Kristiansand, which has brought a lot of controversy, especially in the student democracy, that they were very opposed to having any or education or having lectures in, uh, in a religious affiliated uh, venue. Um, I don't know, is this something that's normal that you would say would happen in the US, uh, Nina, or something like that? Uh, well, there's a strict separation of church and state in this country, supposedly. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, it's been crossed. I mean, the, the last uh, administration was holding Bible study meetings for cabinet members inside the White House, which the founders of this country would have been rolling over in their graves over. <laughs> um, but as far as like large venues go, um, you know, I obviously, you know, the government is not in the business of in interacting using church, you know, buildings, but I, I don't think that there would be a big uproar if there was a contingent situation, it's a situation like, you know, where you needed to have space. I don't think people would say, no, don't use that space because um, it's a religious space. As long as that space wasn't being, 
you know, that they, they weren't, you weren't following certain, you know, making people pray before they walked in or something. I mean, it really is more of an issue for the religious people, I think, is whether they wanted to give their space over to a uh, secular endeavor. Um, hmm. I remember when there was a big hurricane down in Texas a few years ago, the, um, we have these things here called mega churches where you can fill like 10,000 people into one giant building. And there's one of those in Texas run by a very famous pastor. And there was a rising water situation and people were going to like, they needed a dry place to go. And this place was dry. It was high and dry. And, um, you know, the government or you know, people who were first responders started saying, you know, maybe you could open the doors to that place for people to come and shelter for a few days. And he refused. And that actually got him into a lot of trouble. I mean, reputational trouble. He didn't, it was, he didn't have to do it, but I mean, it was just such an unchristian thing to do. And he blamed, I don't know, he said, well, it was going to get wet or something. Of course it wasn't. They were, who knows what the thought of the choice was, but he, he, he really did damage to his reputation. So mm. long answer to your question. I don't think people <laughs> here would go, but I, but you know, it, on, I could see that on college campuses, if you had a super right-wing church nearby and the university said, we're going to tell you to go in there and listen to um, a lecture. I could see students in this country protesting that, especially mm -hmm. if it was one of the churches that's openly anti-LGBTQ, uh, like these evangelical churches are. Yes, that was um, that that was part of the case uh, for UIA's situation as well, and there was a lot about it in the media, and the student movement really took it uh, quite far. And um, it was very cool to see how it engaged people uh, to talk about this. Um, I'm going to try to move us a little bit along. Um, earlier, Nina, you mentioned the whole balancing of taking away some freedoms and giving some others, uh, and I would like to talk about the intervening state and perhaps Norway's most beloved law, the Free Luftslivloven. It's directly translated to the Outdoor Life Law, uh, and it's our right to nature. Uh, so this was adopted in 1957, and it includes rights of public access and the right of way and right of limited residency in the Norwegian nature. And these rights under the right to nature, they overrule uh, private property rights. This is something I understand is quite unthinkable to uh, the regular American. Kasofer, uh, can you tell us a little bit about this? Yeah, I learned, I learned about that when I lived there. And um, of course I got into the hiking, the Norwegian hiking style. Um, I, I walked longer than I ever thought I could. <laughs> and I brought that back with me here. I think it's incredibly healthy and fantastic uh, lifestyle, fantastic habit to, uh, to have. And, um, and yeah, it's uh, it absolutely unheard of here that you would tromp through somebody else's land. Um, well, I shouldn't say it's not, it's absolutely unheard of. I mean, I, on every morning, I take my dog over to a farm right across the road because it's an open space for acres and acres and the dog can run in it. We know the owner, we've used it for 20 years. Um, they, they don't care. Um, mm -hmm. But that said, you know, you can't just do that. If you, you know, people could put up private property signs in the woods and, um, where we are, there are lots of those signs. And, you know, sometimes you get on a walking trail and you, you're, um, 
you know, or, or a dirt road and you will find, you'll see you're, you're walking into some private property <clears throat> and you have to make a decision about it. Well, it's, you know, it's these signs will say you're trespassing, you technically are trespassing. If there's nobody out there, um, what, you know, it doesn't make a difference. Most of the time, you know, you're not, but the, but it, you know, technically those are, you know, you're trespassing, they could go to court, they can tell, take you to court for walking on their land. And, um, and, you know, we're a well-armed country. So you have people, <laughs> I remember last year, we were hiking in this area that we'd been out in all summer and, um, and somebody, if they have logging roads, I don't know if you, logging roads that, that, you know, you can just walk on and they're not, and, and somebody who lived across the road ran up to us and said, don't go back there, that this is not the time of year where you want to be back there because they're shooting. So we basically follow the rules of that. And, you know, it's, it's unfortunate that you can't walk anywhere in this beautiful, there's a lot more land out West where this is more of an issue. Um, the federal government um, takes and, you know, owns a lot of stretches of land. And, and some of those lands are public parks. So you can walk anywhere in those public parks. And I'm talking many, 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 many hundreds of millions of square miles are open. Um, but, uh, but here on the East Coast, it's not like Norway and there's a lot of no-go areas. Yes. Yeah. Christopher, uh, what is your view on this, having some of the culture from both countries? Well, I think it would be crazy for me if I lived in like Texas and I walked around somebody's ranch without asking permission, but I think I'd get quite a scare, to be honest. <laughs> uh, it depends on the person, but I, I, you know, they have something called a castle law there. Fact check me on this, but they have a castle law that's quite interesting, which basically says your property is your own castle. So it's a very interesting law, but, I, but here in Norway, I, I see even um, just my friends here Everybody is in the outdoors, climbing mountains, going skiing, swimming. And I, I have a few friends back in the US that I have from my childhood that, you know, I see what they're up to on social media and stuff. And they were really into the big city life. Uh, it's, it's really interesting. Like I have some friends who, who have like a lake house or something, but you never really see anybody going on a uh, really nice trip and sleeping outside and, and all this. And that's what's interesting about this law too. It's not that you can just pass over somebody's property. You can also stay there for a limited time so for example if you're camping in the woods and it's somebody's private property as long as you leave uh when you leave it looked like uh it, it's not disturbed as in you can have a fire but as long as you decontaminate there's no there's no issue for you being there there's no like a, a private property owner can't they don't have the law in their hands to prosecute you for anything or sue you or or anything like that so it really gives a it's a really special special law for norwegians that sometimes i don't think they think about too often until possibly like for example they live in the U.S. where they want to go for a walk or experience nature like they did when they were home and then all of a sudden they have somebody screaming at them get off my property <laughs> to trespassing I think that's a real that could be a total culture shock for, for some Norwegians definitely so I view this and it's sort of like a paradox for me because this is a very intervening law but it sort of gives more freedoms by, by the way it, it, it's worded um Christopher, can you tell us some more about like other ways Norway has an intervening states and intervening laws that sort of gives us more freedom? Ooh. <laughs> well, well, um, I don't know about more, more freedom, but um, I would say in, in, a, in a criminal sense where to stop 
criminal activity. They have laws there that I think Americans would say are infringing on their rights for privacy. For example, like uh, you have your uh, tax statements and tax returns, everything's public here. You can go online and I can look up Marie and see her tax returns and tax statements, how much she made, what, you know, if she has any debt or whatnot, she'll get a message that I looked at it, but I can still look at it freely. And, I, and that goes for businesses and all political parties. I, I saw you want to talk about some uh, dark money in politics, Nina, that's a very uh, interesting subject too, where, you know, if you spin that back on Norway here, I can, you can go on to government websites here um, that, that basically, that's called party financing Norway. And you can look up every party in Norway that has a um, that, that has money over twelve that get twelve thousand kroners or more in donations a year, and they'll they'll be posted on who gave the money, what time, how much, and you can even uh, request the internal uh, the, the internal uh, tax what would that be accounts the internal accounts of what their accounts look like. So it's much more. There's a lot more transparency here, and I you know, I don't know if that's I don't know if I'd say that it gives me more freedom, but in a way it keeps society working in a better order, possibly. Less, there's, there's, would be way less, uh, for example, corruption in politics or in businesses in the US if you did it like that, in my opinion. Uh, I don't know, Nina, what do you think? <laughs> well, it's a, this is a very interesting discussion because um, when, you're, when you're putting this, these laws and, in, in, in traditions in the context of the concept of freedom, which whose freedom are you talking about? Because in this country, what you have are, and what people here consider to be freedom is this, what he's just described, this castle law, this concept that I'm free to own my stuff and you are not free to come to my home or my land unless I tell you. So it's my freedom, my individual freedom against the freedom of the community. Mm -hmm. And it's protecting those individual supposedly rights to own and tell everyone else that's mine, don't come near it. Um, you know, and with respect to the transparency issue, again, it's like, it's a community, that's a community freedom. It's, you know, as a journalist, I, I hail that, I support that. Yes, more of that, because that's, my, that's the freedom of the community to understand what's going on and to remain, as you say, corruption free. It, that, that is the way to stop corruption. And, um, and, and then you would have people in this country saying, no, you're infringing on my rights to, um, to give millions of dollars to this person that I think is gonna make a great president or congressman and without, without me having to tell you that I did it. That's my freedom. My freedom is to spend my money the way I want to without anybody knowing where I'm putting it. And so it's a definition, again, that's, it goes back to, you asked me what freedom was. It's mm. been drained of all me, it's, it's drained of meaning and or it's, its meaning is in, um, it's, it, its meaning is in, um, uh, it's in dispute. It's not, the, the meaning of it is not agreed upon at all in this country. Mm. Thank you so much. Um, oh, there's so many exciting things I want to talk about. Whenever you guys say a sentence, I'm like, oh, I want to talk more about this. So I want to talk more about this. Uh, but I would love for us to have a little chat about freedom of speech. You know, this is uh, uh, we are in a time of so-called cancer culture. 
And I mean, there's nothing new about, bo about boycotts or about political correctness, uh, but this name of cancer culture and the way social media has developed has sort of given the entire, I can say, movement new life. Uh, and I would love to hear your thoughts about cancel culture and especially like the, this, like you were saying, Nina, that my right to say this, is this the same as my right not to be criticized for what I'm saying? Uh, so is, is the cancel culture, is it taking away freedom from individuals? Is it empowering others, giving them freedom? Um, I would love your thoughts on this, Nina. Well, I mean, as a journalist and somebody who started out in the business writing my thesis on the first sort of English language explication of freedom of speech by John Milton, um, it's called Areopagitica. It's a document that really laid out why, you know, what, why we should be able to publish anything we want. And um, his argument was essentially, you know, the in the marketplace of ideas, truth, if something is true, it needs to be stated and then it has to be, it has, it should be um, tested against all other uh, ideas so that, that, that it will rise above these ideas. If it's true, it, it will sally forth is words to use and, and, and triumph. If something is true, it will triumph. And, um, and, 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 and that it would, should be able to withstand <clears throat> other, other sort of claims and, and, and statements. So that's a long time ago. That was the 17th century. Um, now we have social media. We have, um, you know, people, well, cancel culture to me is like the swarming online of people, this, these attacks that come um, from either the right or the left on people who step out of line. It's more used now, of course, with the progressive left because of the, um, the tone policing that's been going on in the, in the, uh, on the left in terms of, you know, toe the line, don't deviate from, you know, issues that have to do with the, say, transgender activism or, um, or you know, Black Lives Matter and the cops. You know, don't don't dare to question or dimension. You know, for example, in the Black Lives Matter conversation, there are lots of white people killed by cops all the time, and it's just that the percentage of blacks is higher if if you count. But they're they're shooting white people daily, and you know, I would argue that. Um, if you allowed that conversation to enter into the Black Lives Matter stream of conversation, you would have a lot more white people on your side. I mean, the George Floyd protests were terrific in the sense that for the first time you had huge numbers of white people stepping up and saying Black Lives Matter. That is important. And that is a terrific step forward in this country that's so riven with race, race relation problems. But the the, um, the tone policing, especially in literature, like YA novels now, they have to have sensitivity readers, um, you know, uh, issues relating to women and the Me Too stuff and, and sexual harassment. Um, you know, we've made progress in kind of airing out these, um, these, these issues of, of abuse and assault and, um, 
and racial, you know, racial, uh, racially motivated um, hate and so on that's becoming, it's, it's aired out and it's being discussed. And that is very important and anti-gay behavior, very important to have all this discussed, but um, to, uh, to see the swarmings online um, by people who just are kind of, you know, it's, it's a phenomenon, I guess, a human phenomenon that people just like to pile on and get into these pylons. And so that's, that's cancel culture to me. And is it, is it freedom? I mean, is it freedom restricting? Uh, absolutely, as a writer, I think it's freedom restricting. Absolutely, because if you dare to, to and I'm a skeptic, I'm always a skeptic about every sort of dogma. If you start to question dogma and in this, and in this context, you can be literally, um, you can get yourself in trouble. And it happens in, in universities a lot here now where your mm. people are just terrified. Um, and I think that's not a good thing, but I also mm. think it's a phase and I think it will go away. I think this is all part of like the, the rubber band of Paul of, you know, political polls and in, in this, you know, in this country. And, and, and I think everywhere, like you just, you have these ex people, you swing to one extreme and then people are like, Oh no, 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 that's ridiculous. Let's get back to the middle. Mm. Definitely. I, I really agree about the pendulum. It's always going to overcorrect and then go back to the middle. Uh, but I would love Christopher, if you are able to challenge some of these things that Nina are saying here, perhaps you as a student who, what can I say, don't have that high of a stature in society yet, uh, how do you feel about cancer culture and how it is perhaps has given previously unpowerful people an empowerment or a forum where they can sort of have their voices heard? How do you feel about this? I, I hate cancel culture. <laughs> I, I think it's I think it's ridiculous where and I, and it's funny because I can't, it's not as extreme here or anything, but we recently this past year we've had uh, some demonstrations from a group called Sion uh, S I A M. And they're basically they're a group of people who want to stop the Islamization little I didn't say that they're 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 against uh, Islam as a really religion as a and as a culture, and they and they've got a lot of heat um, things they've done. But but what was really interesting that aside of what their you know what their opinions are about a religion and what and the people they they uh, they put in an application to have a demonstration and I believe it was Christian song and. It's happened at Bergen and all our major cities. And they got these approved, so they had a demonstration. And in one of these demonstrations, they actually burned a Quran and it baited their opposition to where a fist fight broke out and the leader was hit in the face. And it was a big spectacle about this. But afterward, what was really interesting, you know, conversing with, my, with other students and, and uh, people my age, they actually blamed uh, this Sion group for actually burning a Quran. They thought that was really unacceptable. That shouldn't be allowed. And, and from that, I kind of concluded that Norwegians don't necessarily appreciate their freedom of speech and, their, and that goes under symbolics of freedom of speech too, where burning a Quran, for example, that they really didn't think that was okay. I was, I was quite shocked by that. Because if you go to France and you said that, people would look at you like, are you crazy? That's, that's totally a, a freedom you, you need to have in, in expressing your opinions. So I, I think this, uh, as Nina said, I think this whole uh, cancel culture, I, I, I hope that's a phase. I'm, I would do poorly in a world with cancel culture, I think. I, I'd go live in my cabin for the rest of my life and lock myself indoors. 
Okay, but it's I, can I just say one thing? I was actually there watching that happen. Oh, really? I couldn't oh. believe it. I my 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 house was in the you know like two blocks away from that um, Central Square where I was living. I was on Gildan Gloves. I can't even still pronounce it. They my Norwegian <laughs> friends used to laugh. Gildan's Gate. Anyway, it was no. I was right there, and I had gone to this grocery store, and I crossed the square, and there was this big mob of people, well, protesting, and 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 I said, "What's going on?" and Somebody said, oh, they're going to burn the Quran. And I said, you've got to be kidding me. Like, that's not happening here. And then I went to the, I went and shopped. I got my food and I came out just as I saw this puff of smoke and shrieks of rage and people suddenly pouncing on, on each other. And, um, and then right it was right before I came back to the States. I couldn't believe it. And right before I came back, I had dinner with some friends who were, one of them was Turkish. And he said, do you know that this, this incident has now been in um, online. It's in social media. It's picture. It's vis there are vis visuals of it in Pakistan and Saudi Arabia. Mm. And and this is all this you know. And there's now those two those boys who were there are being lionized, lions of Islam. They're you know they've made up characters for them. And um, yeah, I mean that I don't know what you would call. I don't know whether you would call that cancel culture. I just it was provocative idiotic behavior but um you know it's just an example of the extreme behavior that people engage in and i think that in i have never seen that in the united states and i couldn't believe that i was seeing it in norway i i've never seen it a, a quran being set on fire in america i imagine that it's been done but i don't think that it, i think if it had been done like say in times square new york we would have read about it like i just don't think the cops would let that happen maybe i don't know so there that's a freedom issue that maybe you have more freedom i don't know there's actually been quite a lot of debates about how the police should have reacted if this should be allowed does this fall under freedom of speech and also that uh, a lot of people you know they use freedom of speech as a way that i don't have to be accountable and i think we all realize here that those aren't the same things you're you're free to say most of what you want, but you're then also accountable for the things you say. Um, but I think it's really exciting to hear about your different perspectives here, and uh, especially since the U.S. has a, what can I say, a longer history of racial tensions and ethnic tensions. Uh, yet here in Norway, this is where we're burning the Quran because we are able to deal with the different ethnicities uh, integrating and different religions meeting. Um, this is a really, really interesting topic. Uh, but we have a lot of others I really want us to cover. <laughs> so I'm, I'm just going to slide us a little further along because um, I would really love to talk about social mobility. Um, so the ability for social mobility is sort of often equated with freedom. I mean, I feel this is sort of like the embodiment of the American dream is the ability for social mobility. And today we can't really talk about social mobility without talking about access to higher education. Um, the ability to go to a university or a college uh, with, uh, for example, the student debt system or costs of actually applying to college or admission based on a motivational essay or straight grade point average. You have private schools and you have public schools, and you have elite schools like the Ivy Leagues. How do all of these things affect the freedom of social mobility today? Um, Christopher, would you like to start? Well, here at least, when you, like I remember my, my dad, he, freaked out on me when I, when I was done in the army and I had sent in my, my university application. 
he said, what, so what are you writing your essay about? I'm like, what are you talking about? And he freaked out when I said, I, I sent an application without an essay. And I, said, and I had to show him how the Norwegian system works. And that's basically, you just go online and I press university in Ogdo and I want to go to the business school and I hit send. And then they check my grades and that's it, nothing else. I don't check any boxes if I'm white, black, Hispanic or, or, or anything else. That's all you have to do. And then, you know, sure, if your grades are good enough, then you get in. There's, there's really nothing else. And then uh, everybody is eligible for student loans here that are really, you get really good loans here. And uh, it's about 8,000 8, kroners a month. So about $1,000 a month. And um, as long as you don't make too much money, everybody's eligible for those. And that's a really good system we have here where there's no, um, you know, it doesn't cost any money to actually go to school. I think we pay 50 kroners or something in, in a tuition fee per semester. That's about it. That's, that's a couple of bucks. Um, so other than that, it's really open. The only thing that students actually have a problem with when it comes to social mobility and actually being a student is housing costs. If you go to uh, Oslo and you study in Oslo, your housing costs are going to be through the roof. You're paying $1,000 a month sometimes. So you actually have to get a second job. But you can live in Kristiansand sparsely, I guess. You could probably just about make it without any extra money here. So I, I, think, uh, I think here for social mobility, it's much easier. But I'd also argue in the U.S., you can get an education. Uh, you can get higher education uh, pretty much. And there are, there are over 3,000 universities in the U.S. I, I think some people look too much at the uh, Ivy League schools. Like my, my father went to an Ivy League school and he uh, did ROTC. So the military paid for his university education. And he, he said that he, he couldn't go there unless that happened. But he was lucky enough and that happened. But you can go to community colleges and not, you know, suffer economically the rest of your life necessarily I, I think I mean sure Nina you you obviously know a little bit more than me about this particular subject when it comes to the U.S. Yes Nina please if you have any thoughts on this uh, uh well yeah social mobility here um is yes definitely has to do with higher education your access to higher education um but um yeah, I mean, it's it's there are lots and lots of people who have not been able to their their gener this generation is not going to live better than the generation before it in this country, and that's that's you know there's been a downscape downsizing or down a downward trending for a lot of white working class people um, who could who could be middle class without a higher education. In this country, and now that's not true, and so that's like that's a lot of what pro propelled the um, the assault on the well, I shouldn't say the assault on the capital because those people were actually it turns out pretty well off. They were just resentful, and that's a whole other conversation. There, they were well off people. It's unbelievable. You think they're the rabble, but they weren't. But the um, they propelled the Trump movement in in some sense. These these downwardly mobile white uh, working class people. Um, but you know, social, so social mobility, sure. If you come here as a, um, you know, I meet, you meet people like driving the taxis in New York city. I do anyway, um, Nigerian or, you know, Pakistani or maybe Syrian, you know, Rockies or, you know, people, you find out some of them have like degrees. So they've come here with engineering degrees and they're driving taxis and they've, 
really come up against that, you know, that that American dream doesn't really work um, when you're just scraping to get, you know, to stay alive. Uh, there is no net. You can just fall. You can fall and not be found. And uh, so there is, but then there are stories, other equal, equally, uh, you know, uh, true of people coming to this country and, um, and making it, making it very, very well. Um, and that, you know, that possibility of doing that, of, of scraping your way up to the top or becoming a business owner um, and so on, that, that's a true thing that happens to people in this country. It happens if you're, you know, you, there's a measure of luck involved. There's not a lot of grit that is required. Um, you know, it's, it is kind of an open, in some ways it's open, um, open to people. You can get loans if you're, if you're in the right position and you can get yourself up. Um, but it, increasingly it has to do with, you know, access, access to education, which yes, there are 3000 universities here, but you have to get these, everybody has to get student loans to, to go. If you're not, if you're not rich, it costs money. And then you're burdened with those loans for life. That's why this huge issue here about whether to uh, forgive debts or not is it's a big, big thing that Biden did not agree to it last night in his speech that they're not doing that. But that's definitely something that the left wants. Um, you know, give these kids, let them start on an even playing field with the with the, those who have inherited wealth. The other problem, the other very uh, that's very much pushing down on social mobility, I would argue, is that healthcare is mm -hmm. not um, free. It's not. It's, we don't have a national system, and um, you know, the big. This is a big difference between us and, and Norway and all these other countries in Europe that. Uh, the threat of losing your house if you get cancer or losing everything you own um, in order to pay for, uh, you know, a surgery that you need is real. And if it's, it's real and you can lose your health insurance if you lose your job. And, and so people have to hang on to these, you know, and, and then you can have jobs where you don't even get health insurance and then you have a $15 minimum wage. And so that's why, you know, the pandemic really exposed the weakness of our, the true weakness of our country is in the healthcare system. And there are lots and lots of unhealthy people here because they don't even want to go to the doctor because if you go to the doctor and you don't have health insurance, the people who don't have health insurance are charged more than people who have insurance. Private insurance will 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 you know bargain with mm -hmm. the um, hospitals, and if you're an individual, you have no power to bargain, and you will get these monster-sized bills for like a blood test. So people don't go to the doctor, and therefore you have people with many many pre-existing conditions, and that's what COVID killed killed people. Literally died because they were not healthy. Uh, they didn't have under, and I'm not saying that's, that it only killed people who were, you know, had un, underlying conditions, but it was, it, it definitely attacked more. So I'm getting off the topic, I guess, but, um, <laughs> but yes, we're, we're, um, uh, we are not a social, we're not the, the ideal uh, socially mobile society, but I think in many, in some ways we are more socially mobile than the European countries. And I, I, I noticed that when I lived, I've lived in Italy, I've lived in France and I've lived in Norway. And I, I met people in all those countries who felt 
um, restrained or constrained by, um, by regulations and rules that prevented them from doing what they wanted to do in terms of employment. Hmm. Um, I actually think it's quite good that you started talking about healthcare because I see time is running out, but if we have the time, I would love for us to talk just a little bit about the pandemic and about healthcare and about how maybe the rules and regulations of Norway have allowed us to have a different pandemic response and especially the healthcare response. Kristoffer, uh, I know that you wanted to talk a little bit about the hijacking of uh, the response on the pandemic and vaccinations. Can you say something in this regard? Well, in general, I think, you know, it'll be see what the aftermath of the whole, this whole pandemic situation will be. For example, the Norwegians have done it totally different than the Swedish. The Swedish have pretty much had their, their doors open. Uh, they haven't really had a, a lockdowns or anything that, that I know of. I mean, we can fact check that, but <laughs> in general, they've come under a lot of fire in Norwegian media because the, uh, the Swedes have kept their doors open pretty much. And while well, the Norwegians have done the exact opposite. And some of that is interesting because in general, Norwegians trust their government, like in my opinion, too much. I, I, I still have some skeptical at some things. But what's interesting is some of these lockdowns and I, I talked to some students and they're like, well, you know what, this is, I don't agree with this. This is quite ridiculous. Or, you know, students lose their jobs. We don't, for example, get any support if we lose our job. We only have that stipend to live off of that we get from the government, from our student, student loans. So this whole pandemic situation is quite interesting where the Norwegian government is losing some of their, or their students in Norwegian, specific, uh, uh, specifically young people in Norway, are losing some of the confidence they have in the government and the trust. Because they also disclosed that they're not going to be releasing any information about the decisions that were made and how they came to them until another 60 years, I believe. That's all gonna be classified information. And again, we're gonna have to fact check that, but I'm pretty sure about that. <laughs> and um, I think it's been quite detrimental. I don't think it's, uh, I don't think necessarily Norwegian government uh, made the right choice or maybe they did, but maybe the, they had the wrong intentions behind it. I'm not quite sure. So it'll be interesting what happens there. And even with these vaccines rolling out, uh, some students are pretty like, they're really uh, skeptical, as in they want a vaccine, but they really don't want to be the first ones to get it because <laughs> we're going to be doing vaccinations of everybody between the ages of 18 and I think uh, 35 this summer. So we'll see what happens with that. It'll be very interesting. Hmm. Nina, do you have a response to this or perhaps even a closing uh, remark? I see that our time is really running out here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would just say, um, you know, in this country, public health is a as a um, makes we we fund public health at a rate that's like one tenth of what we fund our defense industry. You know, forty percent of the discretionary budget goes to defense, and three percent goes to public health. And what came and killed more Americans than World War II, Vietnam, and Korea? What came and killed us? Not the Russians, not the Chinese. <laughs> but a virus that the public health system was unprepared to deal with. So re, 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 reconsidering priorities would be something that we would want to do that one, can, one would hope that comes out of this. Um, and just last words, I mean, I get the, I guess the last words because I wrote this book about and spent two essays on the history of vaccine and what these vaccines are. And I would urge your student body to not doubt them. They are 
absolute medical milestones. The fact that the medical industry or medical science was able to create this vaccine in 11 months. And this is a species-wide event. Every person in the world is going to need to have this because it, what's happening in India, it just means this is going to go on and on forever because every time the virus gets into a human body, it is evolving it's living in the cells and it's becoming something different. These vaccines are absolute secular miracles, especially the mRNA, the Moderna and the Pfizer. And going forward, they are, this platform is going to change medicine in ways that we don't yet understand. They're, gonna, they're, gonna, they, they're able to look at a virus, make a copy of it, make a copy of a messenger of it, not even the attenuated virus that they used to put into you for every other vaccine you ever took was a dead virus or a weakened actual virus. These are uh, just a little messenger that tells your cell, look out for this shape. And if it comes at you, here's the, you're gonna make this antibody. It's absolutely amazing. And I am a big fan of, yes, all vaccines, eventually they will show there is a very, there's an edge in the, um, in, the, in the testing, the clinical trials, there's always going to be a side effect that affects certain people in every, they're never 100% safe, but they are a community act. And it, it's something that you absolutely need to do. And, and in terms of this, you know, dealing with it. So that's my that's my uh, pep talk for yeah. the medical community. And I have been fully vaccinated and I am really happy that I am vaccinated. I got vaccinated in February and I've been able to now be around people. And I went to, on an airplane. I was in Miami beach, which is now a very, um, you know, people without masks and people acting stupid and nothing has, it's, it's you know, I'm immune to it because of this. I, I believe in it. So tell your yeah. friends. We we're really lucky. We're, we're going to be waiting until this summer. <laughs> this summer, I'm going to get vaccinated. Can't wait. Yeah, you, you want it. And talk. Oh, to yeah, yeah, friends. definitely. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm tired of being locked up at home. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm it's really... The, yeah, it's more the trust in the government. That it's just it's absolutely bit... trust. And, you know, it's interesting that you, we, we didn't get into the trust thing, but the Norwegians trust. It, what, the basis of democracy is trust in your fellow citizens and in, in your government. And I think the Norwegians had a lot more trust in each other and their government. And we don't. We don't have that. And of course, we've had politicians who have provoked, who will be remaining nameless because we don't say his name anymore, but who provoke that distrust and, 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 and profit by it. And that's really the basis of democracy. You have to have trust in your fellow man, that your fellow citizens, that if your government, if they win, that you're not going to be devastated, that you, you have to trust that you can live with their decisions. Mm. And we just have, we lost that for a while hopefully it comes back so. okay uh, i'm really sad we didn't get to talk more about electoral systems that is sort of my favorite part since i'm a political science student uh, <laughs> but i i think we had a really interesting conversation nonetheless uh i wish we could have gone more deep dived into things but you know this is sort of just an introduction and presenting some of the international perspectives we can have here um I really want to thank you, Nina, for giving a shout out to the vaccination. <laughs> it's, it's very good that we have a healthy focus on science, uh, I think. And they just released the student um, health and mental health uh, research they do here, uh, here in Norway. And eight out of 10 students in Norway are very excited about having to take a vaccine. So we have positive response. Uh, I yeah. think what Christopher meant is sort of that 
the handling of the pandemic has been questionable, uh, even if we are all fond of sure. taking a vaccine. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but I really want to thank both of you for being here. Uh, this was really cool. I wish we could have been talking for hours. <laughs> um, I, I want to, yeah. I also just want to make it clear that I haven't been fact checking all the things Christopher has said uh, I should fact check. Do that <laughs> so later. <laughs> <laughs> but um, all right. Thank you so much. Bye. For this and have a nice day. Yeah.